They said on the radio that it was going to be really easy. You know that show on Saturday afternoons called The Money Pit? Everybody calls in with their housing questions and what to do. And they said, hey, this floor is really easy to put in. It's just this floating, snap-together floor. Not only is it easy to put in, but it's cheap thing. Right up my alley. Easy and cheap. So bought it and put it in the house, brought it home, had a big living room that we were putting it in and uh, tore up the old carpet. This thing came together with instructions even. Not only instructions, but nice little spacers that you're supposed to use against the wall to start your floating floor. And uh, so start putting in the floating floor. But these spacers, they don't stay in very well for the first section that you're putting out. So as I'm going along, I can't keep the spacer in while also snapping in the next portion. Well, the spacer is only really minute amount of space. How important is the spacer thing? So a couple of spacers kind of just start falling out and let's get the floor in thing. Let's get this done. So you start snapping together, start rolling along, you're just snapping the floating floor in. But as you're going along, it's getting harder to snap the floor in thing. And then you get about three quarters of the way done thing. And, and someone points out to you, the floor's not straight thing. And not only that, but you know that the inspector, and you all know who the inspector is, the in, you know that the inspector is not going to approve of the floor. So here, it's to the point where you can't even snap it in anymore, and it's obviously no longer straight. Well, that first row really didn't look that bad thing. What happened? This is the slow little drift, a little more crooked each time. And as it slowly drifted, it just got more and more difficult to snap in, and it became more and more obvious that the floor was not straight. The consequence, of course, start over. <laughs> There's consequences when we drift from our purpose, right? There's consequences. I don't know about you, but it's easy to drift. Thing. How many of us start with great goals, great ideas? I'm going to be healthier in 2014. Thing. What happens? We quickly drift from the mission of getting healthier. And there's consequences, right? Down the road, we pay for it. It even becomes healthy, harder to get healthier, right? We've got goals. We leave the dentist. I'm coming back next time, and I'm only going to be here for 30 minutes, and I'm not getting the flossing talk. What happens? Think. Slow drift away from the flossing plan. It creeps in all over our lives. We just drift away from our purpose. We drift away from our mission. The same thing happens at church. We get this slow mission drift. There's a book written recently by an author named Dallas Willard who wrote a book called The Great Omission. And he lays out the argument that the church actually has left behind the Great Commission from Matthew chapter 28 where Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He argues that we've had a mission drift. We didn't intentionally set out to say we're not going to make disciples anymore. It's just happened over time, and now the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the pudding. Churches are saying, oh, our people just don't know a lot. Thing. And not only that, the proof is in the pudding. Now churches are starting discipleship programs. Discipleship program. That name even has a problem, because discipleship is the mission of the church. The mission is to make disciples, but now discipleship has become a program within the church. We've drifted corporately, but also because we've drifted personally from the call of Christ. How has this drift happened? Well, the drift has happened because of, sorry to say it, you. 
and me. But what happens? We all work with people that go to other churches, right? And all of a sudden, some people are leaving our churches, right? And so when somebody leaves our church, what happens? Money also leaves, right? So a couple people leave, some money leaves the church, and what do you do? Hey, we're not growing. Some people are leaving. We need to have a committee meeting. Everybody, come to a committee meeting. We need to find a way to grow the church. Everybody comes to the committee meeting of the church. Hey, we've lost 17 people, X amount of dollars. We need to find a way to grow. Oh, hey, hey, hey. There's somebody at my, my work, and they're going over to X. They've got a great bass guitar player thing, and they just love it. Oh, great idea. Okay, hey, well, let's get a bass guitar player. Let's do that. Perfect. The next person, well, hey, I've got a great idea too. Our friends have started going to Y. Y, they've got a great kids' check-in system. It's computerized. You put your thumbprint on. It even prints out a name tag for you, and they love it. Thing, And, and I think we'll get them to come back, and we'll get four more families if we just had that fingerprint check-in system. What do we do? Well, let's have a fingerprint check-in system. Oh, great idea. And then what? Well, you know, our friends, I've got, I work with a co-worker that, that's going to a place, and what they've done is now they're letting everybody drink coffee and, and bring their treats into the, into the worship area. And he says that it just helps everybody feel so much better and, and more well. Well, hey, you know what? We can, do, we can do the same thing. You know what we'll do? We'll get Starbucks coffee. We'll take it up one notch. So we leave the committee meeting. We've got great ideas. We're getting a bass guitar player. We're getting Starbucks coffee, and we're getting a brand new children's check-in center thing. And this happens. This, I'm not joking. This is what happens. It goes on time and time again. And then about five years later, everybody looks around the room and goes, gee, no one seems to know anything about the Bible thing. What, what's, going on? what's going on? We've gained about seven people, but... None of the people we've gained are unchurched. They all came from church. Why? Because we had Starbucks instead of high V. This is what happens. And so therefore, oh, not everybody knows everything, so let's start a discipleship program. See what happens? We drift, think. The consequences of, of the drifting, we move people around. Then we start a discipleship program because we're not deep enough, but we still continue all of the other sideshow stuff. It's happening all around us. And it could happen right here to us at King of Glory. It's so easy to drift away from our purpose. And over the next seven weeks, our goal is that we would be refreshed in our minds, that we're entering into a sermon series, that we'd get a fresh vision of what our mission is. Not our mission so much corporately, but our mission as individuals. And then I believe that'll play out corporately. Our sermon series over the next seven weeks is simply entitled follow. That's it. Follow. But what would happen over the next seven weeks if we left behind our meaningless religious activity where we just go through the motions? What would happen over the next seven weeks if we left behind our wayward ways that don't glorify God? What if we left out religious activity and what if we left out the wayward life? What if we follow? And that's our plan over the next seven weeks, is to understand what Jesus' call is on our lives as individuals, and then that'll lead to us corporately, what is our call? Because the danger is that we will drift, and drift slowly, unnoticeably, until the consequences come. This morning, that was just the introduction to the sermon series thing. So now, we've got to get started into the series itself. If you would turn with me in your Bible this morning to Matthew chapter 4. 
Matthew chapter 4. We're going to start right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Matthew 4, 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. We now turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, beginning with the ninth verse. Matthew 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and, sac and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The word of the Lord. Do you consider yourself an apprentice? Are you seeking to learn a job or a specific skill from a professional? Have you ever considered yourself an apprentice of Jesus? This morning, I would assume if I asked the question, do you consider yourself a Christian, the majority of us would willingly raise our hands. If not for peer pressure, at least we would raise our hands. When most people consider themselves a Christian. But have you ever considered what it is to be a Christian? What is a Christian? The term Christian is actually only used three times in the New Testament. Jesus actually never uses the term Christian. The term Christian is brought to us in the book of Acts. And it's brought to us because the church is growing, and now you've got people becoming disciples, followers of Jesus, that are not Jews. So the Jews were all kind of disciples of certain rabbis. Well, now that Jesus' mission was moving into the Gentile world. So now you have Gentiles becoming followers, disciples. They're looking for a way to describe this new group of people. So they started to call them Christians or slaves to Christ, or people that were bondservants to this person, Jesus. The description was basically also used to describe the way. If you look in the book of Acts, you'll see the term the way used sometimes. That was used to describe followers of Jesus. It was this new movement that was beginning. But the term Christian was given to disciples. When the term Christian was brought up, they did not say, hey, what we need is we need a term to describe kind of the general religious crowd. And then we, because we've got this word disciple and follower, that's more for the hardcore folk. Now, the term Christian was used for disciple. If you were a disciple, you were a Christian. If you were a Christian, you were a disciple. Because if you're a Christian, you're a slave to Christ. But we think of Christian in the generic sense. But the call of Christ is to think of Christian as an apprentice, as a disciple, or as a learner. This morning and in the next seven weeks ahead, we're going to do things a little bit differently. You know, we've had the PATs. Now we're going to move in. Each week you're going to leave here with two what-if questions. 
And you're going to leave here with one habit or mindset that we need to change. The first what-if question this, next week, this week is this. What if the call is the same for us today as it was for the original followers? What if the call is the same for us today as it was for the original followers? Let's just dream for a little bit and just assume with me for a little while that let's say the call is the same for us that it was for the original followers of Jesus. Well, what was the call of Jesus at that time? Let's look together at Matthew chapter 4 to understand the call. We see in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus says basically one thing to these fishermen. Follow me. And then we see it again in Matthew chapter 9. What does he say to the tax collector? Follow me. And then we see it in Matthew chapter 28 when he says to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples or followers. The call of Christ is to follow or to be a disciple. And the best way to understand that in our culture is to be an apprentice. And there's a couple of authors that help us understand what it means to be a disciple or an apprentice. The first one, Eugene Peterson, who's written a variety of Bible translations and books, he says that a disciple is a learner. Very simple. A disciple is a learner but not in the academic setting of a schoolroom, rather at the work site of a craftsman. And he goes on to describe that the place where we are learning, our school is life, that, that we're learning all of life to be like Christ. We're learning all of our life to think like Christ. There was an old saying in Jesus' time that you wanted to t- be covered in the dust of your rabbi. A lot of people in those days had rabbis, teachers that they were specifically following. There was a saying, hey, follow your rabbi close enough that you get covered in their dust. If you're slow this morning, it's because they didn't have Nikes and sidewalks to walk on. But the whole point was, hey, learn everything that your rabbi knows and be covered in that. Become like your rabbi. Think. And so us as disciples, what are we are learners. We're trying to become just like the professional, Jesus himself. We're basically an apprentice. Dallas Willard defines apprentice this way. He says, It is someone who has decided to be with another person in order to become capable of doing what that person does or to become what that person is. And we all know that from our daily lives, right? We all know what it's like to to come under someone's training to try and be able to do what they can do so one day we can take their job. Or we all know what it's like, too, to find a model and be like that person. Everybody in this room is really good at following other people. Everybody here is a really good imitator. We do it well. We, We find people and we try and resemble them. We try and resemble the way they think. We try and resemble the way they talk. We try and resemble uh, their lifestyle. We're good at following. The question is, who are we following? Are we an apprentice of culture? Are we an apprentice of Jesus? And so to be an apprentice is to seek to become like Jesus. And this is the call of Christ. The call of Christ to the original was to say, hey, come and be like me. Come and reflect my image to the world. And it wasn't just a a, a simple call. Look with me in Matthew chapter 4 again. Verse 20. Verse 20, one word, immediately. And then if we look down, verse 22, immediately they left their boat 
and their father and followed him. The original call was one of urgent abandonment. Urgent abandonment. Jesus did not say, hey, everybody, I got a new group that's starting that I'd like you to affiliate with. When the time of census comes, please go down to, and just check box F and you will be good to go. Think. Jesus comes and gives a message of urgent abandonment. He says, now. He leaves the boat and his dad. In other places in the Gospels, we see Jesus say to a young man, the man says, I have to go back and bury my father. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Because the message of Jesus is an urgent abandonment message that we have to be willing to leave everything to be like him, to follow after him. The message of Jesus is not one of, we'll affiliate and try and get the benefit, but rather it's an urgent abandonment now and all in. To be a follower is to be an apprentice, to become like Christ. And we understand that this is the primary call of Christ. The primary call of Christ is to be his apprentice. We can begin to understand then the sermon of Jesus. And we see the sermon of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Look at this, a one-sentence sermon. This is great. Think. Matthew 4, 17. Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And at other places in the Gospel of Mark, it uses the phrase, repent and believe the good news. And it describes how this was the message Jesus went and proclaimed. Well, when we understand the primary call is to follow Christ, then we begin to understand the content of Jesus' message is repentance and belief. Why? Because following necessitates what? Repentance. If I'm following someone, I'm no longer following my own way. If I say to you today, hey, you know what, hey, follow me to the restaurant and just, uh, I'll get you there, right? If I say that, what am I expecting from you? You're not going to take your own way, think. You're going, when I look back in my window, I'm going to see your car. Following someone necessitates repentance, a U-turn of saying, not my way, but their way. And also along with following, if I say to you, hey, follow me. But last time I said that, I took us to the north end of town. We're supposed to be at the south end of town. What are you going to say? <laughs> I'll make my own way there. Why? Because you don't trust me. You see, when you follow someone, you trust them. You trust that where they're taking you, are you trusting that the process they're laying out is going to be good for you? So when we, the call of Christ is to follow, and when we follow, we're actually living out the sermon of Christ, which is, Repent, turn from our ways, and trust in Him because we follow those whom we trust. And when we follow, we turn from our own ways. The message of Christ, the call of Christ to the original was simply to follow, to be His apprentice, to be like Him. Well, what if the call to the original is the same call for you and I today? The evidence that we have from Scripture is that it is the exact same call. We see in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of other nations. And then in the book of Acts, as we read on, what do they do? They made disciples. And then they called these disciples Christians, slaves of Christ. The same message. If the same call of Christ is not for you and I today, 
we've got to tweak our Bibles a little bit and decide how we're going to interpret Jesus. Because if the call of Christ is not the same for us today, then we can get rid of about half the Gospels and we can just pull out some of the moral teachings of Jesus. Because everything else won't make any sense, the demands that he's making. And, well, then the life that he gives wouldn't make any sense. Why would he give his life for this set of moral teachings that would have stood whether he died or not? But he gives his life because the call is exactly the same today. And he gives his life so that you and I can answer the call. And the call this morning to apprenticeship does not go out to the greats. It does not go out to the few, but it goes out to the bottom and to everyone. Look with me, if you would, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 13. Sometimes we skip over these little spots because we can't pronounce the words, right? So we're like, and Jesus. Thing. But there's a lot of power right here in with this geography statement about where Jesus is. Matthew chapter 4, verse 13. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the terry of Zebulun and Nephthalia. So, we've got these two places. What's important here is this. Jesus was not starting his ministry in the middle of Jerusalem. It's not like Jesus rolled out the red carpet and said, hey, religious elite, gather around. Where does he go? He goes to the outskirts. He goes to the place where no king of the temple begins their ministry. Not only does he go to the outskirts, but look who he calls when he's at the outskirts. Fishermen. He calls the fishermen, the, the basic workers of society. That's who he calls. This is the king of the universe. This is the one who created all things. This is the richest person to ever live. This is the sovereign Lord over all creation. He does not go to the elite, but he goes to anyone and everyone, and he extends the exact same call, follow me. And then not only does he go to the, to the kind of the workers, but then look at Matthew chapter 9. Now Jesus pushes the envelope a little bit, and he missed a morning meeting with his PR person. Because now Jesus, in Matthew chapter 9, notice he says, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. Jesus goes to the most hated person in town. Now this morning I recognize that I'm talking to a lot of people that love the IRS and love their taxes. But you have to understand, in those days, the tax collector was not welcome at the dining room table. You know, today we don't like our taxes, right? Thing. And we get pretty excited when they start talking taxes and IRS. It doesn't even compare to the hatred that was held for the tax collectors in Jesus' day. These tax collectors really had a good gig. You see, they collected tax, and then they would pass off that whatever percentage they were given to the big government. But what they did was they charged, you know, oh, your tax 60% thing. They only had to pass 40% on. So the tax collectors were what? Determining the rate on the spot. How's that for a tax policy? And we now see this in Zacchaeus. Remember the famous story of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus, the tax collector, what does he do? He gives it back. Oh, why does the tax collector give it back? Doesn't the government have it? No, because he had been cashing in some on the side. That's what the tax collectors did. They were not well liked. So who does Jesus go to? Trying to build a movement? I've got the fishermen. They're good people. Who do I need next? 
Let's get the most hated in town. Tax collectors, come on, join the movement. Follow me. Jesus does not go to the healthy and the wealthy, but Jesus goes right to the sick and lowly. And he says it right there in Matthew chapter 9, that he has not come to call the righteous, but to come to call the sinners. Because the call of Christ is not dependent upon our character. The call of Christ is not dependent upon our ethnicity, but the call of Christ is dependent upon the caller. In those days, when Jesus was living, people picked their own rabbi. So what you'd do is you'd find a rabbi that you wanted to follow and be like, and then you'd pick that rabbi and ask if you could study under them. Jesus is being completely countercultural. They don't pick Jesus. Jesus picks them. And he picks the lowly, and he picks the sick. The power of the call is not your response. The power of the call is the caller himself. Jesus has chosen you. When God's word comes forth to you, that's God placing a call upon your life. That's God calling you. It's not dependent upon your background. It's not dependent upon the bad decision you made last night. It's a good call because of the one making the call. And the call of Christ, the call to follow, to be his apprentice, goes out to the lowly, it goes out to the sick, it goes out to anyone and everyone. And it's not dependent upon who you are or where you come from because it's based upon the caller himself. And that's good news for you and I today, that Jesus is making the exact same call, not to the few and the elite, but to anyone and everyone to come and follow, to be his apprentice. The call of Christ, the original call, was an urgent abandonment to be his apprentice, to be like Christ. It was urgent abandonment for anyone and everyone. What if the call to the original is the same call today. The second what if this morning is this. What if I was an apprentice of Jesus? What if I was an apprentice of Jesus? Just take that home and chew on it a little bit. If you were an apprentice of Jesus, are you beginning to think like Christ? If you were an apprentice of Jesus, how would you handle this situation in your family currently? If you were an apprentice of Jesus, how would you handle this situation at work? If you were an apprentice of Jesus, how would you prioritize these two or three things? So often when we use the term Christian, there's nothing wrong with it. We use it in such a generic sense that it loses all its meaning. So that's why over the next seven weeks, there's a new rule. No term Christian. We can only use the term apprentice or follower or disciple to help just refresh our thinking, to give us a fresh vision of the call of Christ, the call to be his apprentice. This morning, I know the response. Settle down. Whoa, 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 whoa. We do not want to be extremists, right? I mean, who wants to be an extremist? And so therefore, we don't want to be an extremist, we don't want to be the wild ones. So therefore, what do we do? But at the same time, we also don't want to be hypocritical of just kind of showing up and going through the motions. So let's take a little bit of the extreme stuff thing, and then let's take some of the religious activity, mix it together, and I think we can make a nice Jesus work for me thing. And so that's what we do. We end up with this middle-of-the-road, lukewarm Jesus. 
The message of Jesus is extreme. The call of Christ is extreme because it's urgent abandonment to one person, Him. And that urgent abandonment might lead us in a variety of directions. Most of us are afraid of being extreme because those who are extreme are, I'm just going to be frank, those who are extreme a majority of time in our culture are not being extreme to Jesus. They're being extreme to a political agenda or to a materialistic worldview idealistic set. Think about this for a second. I'm not picking on anyone this morning and I don't mean to hurt anyone's feelings. Think. Think of the last thing Christians got really extreme about. Duck Dynasty. Oh, man. I can't believe that they would take him off the air. can't believe they would squelch his rights to free speech. Oh, they're taking away my show thing. I stand with Phil. Everybody needs to stand with Phil. We need to get him back on A&E because if he's not on A&E, God's law is being flushed down the toilet. And so that's where our extremity is, right? That's where we get extreme. Well, we stand with Phil. That's being extreme for Jesus. Think about this for a second. We're standing up to keep a television show about duck calls. We're standing up to defend comments that none of us would allow our children to say, even if they're pure and true. Then that gets labeled as extreme, so therefore true followers of Christ don't want to be extreme because you don't want to show up at work with the bumper sticker that says, I stand like Phil because then everybody at work is going to think you're scared of homosexuals and you're going to, oh, and it just gets all crazy and out of whack thing. Because that's the extreme Christian position in America today. I've never really heard anyone ever come up and say, hey, you're too serious about Jesus. I mean, you're adopting orphans and you're being faithful to your spouse. And you know what? You're giving away too much money. And not only that, but... You were honest in that last business deal? And, and hold on a second. You, you invited people over that aren't in your club? You're, you're being too serious about Jesus. Thing. This is the extreme call of Christ. The extreme call of Christ is to follow. The extreme call of Christ is not to stand up for things that are just foolish. Thing. It actually reveals more what our heart is attached to then it reveals who Christ is. The call of Christ is urgent abandonment to him alone. And is it going to lead to some extreme positions that make us unpopular? Yes. Yes. But let's let the positions make us unpopular, not the way we say them or who we defend that's saying them. Let's let our actions speak for themselves. Let our actions be extreme. Let our words of kindness be extreme. The call of Christ is urgent abandonment, and it is extreme because it's coming from the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the owner of the universe. And that call is to be his apprentice. The challenge for us this morning is most of us treat our Christian life like my daughter treats our iPad thing. You know, we've got a little charging station at home. And she's learned now you take the iPad to the charging station when it's either out of power or it's bedtime. 
and charging state takes the iPad to the charging station, carries it over to the charging station, sets it on the sets it on the night table, and sets it there. And then even after setting there, she'll go down and grab the charging cord, pick up the charging cord, drop it, and walk away. Uh, I mean, that charges the iPad if you didn't know. You just pick up the cord and it kind of does this magic zap thing. Right, because if you put the iPad on the charging station and lift up the cord, the iPad will be charged. Isn't that the way we often view Christianity? I show up and participate in these religious activities and go through these exercises, and I avoid these certain behaviors and stand with certain people. I will be a Christian when the call of Christ is so much more, when the call of Christ is to plug into the power source himself, to be his apprentice, to be like him. That is the urgent abandonment call of Christ. That is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As we go forth today, we need a new mindset. The new mindset this week is this. I am an apprentice of Jesus. I am an apprentice of Jesus. To be like him, to think like him, and to know his ways, and to be all in for him. What if the call of Christ is the same today as it was 2,000 years ago? What if I live as an apprentice of Jesus? Let us pray. Almighty God, we come before you in recognition, O Lord, that oftentimes we have been extreme, but extreme for our own positions or extreme for our, our own profit. Lord, we acknowledge that many times we have softened your message and Lord, we ask now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would empower us for a life of apprenticeship. Lord, this morning I pray for each person that's here today. God, I ask that this next week you would take a chisel to each of our hearts and each of our minds, and that you, O oh Lord, would shape us and form us, that you, O oh Lord, would grant us the ability to think and to understand your ways. Lord, thank you for calling us. Thank you for being our King, our Lord and our Savior. God, we follow after you. In Jesus' name. Amen.